Wow, you can have a seat this morning. Just thank you, worship team, for leading us today and just the words that we were singing and the truth that we were reminding ourselves of together. The faithfulness of God has got my heart moved today. You know, we gather together in places like this and we bump into each other for just a moment in the morning and we, we might miss the faithfulness of God in our lives if we don't talk about it a little bit, if we don't spend some time together. And God is abundantly faithful and he's abundantly good. And I was telling somebody this morning, you've heard me quote this, I, I'm, I'm gonna quote Billy Joel and the Philadelphia Eagles more than anybody else in, in all of the world, but Billy Joel says sometimes just surviving is a noble fight. And uh, we serve an enemy, who, or we serve a God who leads us to life everlasting, but there's an enemy prowling to seek. He seeks to kill, to steal, and destroy. And he comes at us and assails us with every uh, weapon he can get his hands on. And sometimes just the reminder that we're here one more week standing firm in the grace of Jesus Christ is enough. That he's faithful, he did it again. He got us to hear again. And some of you are walking through seasons in your life where you're not sure tomorrow is gonna make it, like you're gonna be there then. And these moments when we're gathered together are reminders that the faithfulness of God has once again sustained us for another week. And our hope is that he will do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And for some of you right now and in the next five minutes and the five minutes after that, and we rejoice that today we, we see new friends and old friends alike. There's great things happening. John and Carolyn Black are with us. I don't know if you know, John had a stroke a number of weeks ago, and it was, a, it was pretty difficult uh, as they started to um, kind of recalibrate their lives and think about a new normal. But John came home from rehab this week, and they're with us this morning. We're just praising God for his work in your life. The Lord's faithful, and he's good. And that faithfulness will endure forever and it'll sustain us day after day after day. So good morning to all of you. I'll get into my stuff now. Good morning to all of you. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Uh, when, I, when I have the great privilege of teaching moms on Mother's Day, I'm a little uh, over my skis, right? Because I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I don't know a whole lot about being a mom. That's, that's not something that is in my wheelhouse, mercifully. Um, and so I have to be careful on Mother's Day because I really don't tell anybody, but I really don't know what I'm talking about, right? But today, today's a little different, right? Because in addressing fathers, I'm, I'm talking to my people, right? You, you are me, and I know a thing or two about dads. For instance, I know that when entering a new town, any town, anywhere, in any country in the whole world, a dad is duty-bound by the Lord to make a disparaging comment about the cost of gas in that town. <laughs> he must. He cannot drive past a gas station in your town without saying that. I know that when a dad gets a haircut and someone says, Dad, did you get a haircut? He must answer only one way. No, I got them all cut. <laughs> he has to. There is no, some of you are laughing because this is your dad. And, that, and if your kids are elbowing you, that's you. Shame on you. When in the checkout line and the cashier says, do you want the milk in a bag? A dad must say, no, that's okay. Just keep it in the carton. Dads also have this certain caliber of joke that they have come to know and love. 
aptly named a dad joke because it is so notoriously bad, only a dad could appreciate it. I'd like to share with you my top five favorites. Some of these are really funny, actually. I don't know. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Why, Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Because they're so good at it. What, what do you call a man with a rubber toe? Roberto. <laughs> See, I told you. This were... <laughs> Two goldfish were in a tank and one says to the other, do you know how to drive this thing? <laughs> My absolute favorite, where, where exactly did George Washington keep his armies? The answer, of course, is in his sleeves. Some of you guys are thinking, well, those are pretty good. I need to remember those. Uh, The more time I spend with dads in our church, I notice some trends about us. Uh, Over the last couple years especially, I've seen our fashion sense beginning to slip. I don't know if we're just getting older or what, or ladies, I don't think you're doing your job very well, to be honest with you. But it's not good for us to be alone. If left to our own devices, we would end up wearing our jean shorts and old Dave Matthews Band t-shirts until we die. Some of you, some of you are here today in that outfit. I'm sorry, but stop it. And your, your wife needs to step up her game a little bit. We, we need your help there, okay? Please, please. I've also noticed that our bodies are beginning to give out. Um, I don't know if maybe you're just trying to play a hero and, and you've broken an arm falling off a ladder in your driveway. <laughs> you're welcome. Or, or maybe you're just reliving your glory days on the soccer field and you snap an Achilles or... Or maybe you're just moving stuff with your friends and you pick up a TV and your bicep goes. I don't know, but gotcha. All right. Our bodies are betraying us. The conversation has changed amongst the guys in our church over these last, I've been here for 14 years, so I've, I've got a little bit built up in the reservoir. The conversation has begun to change. We used to talk about hobbies and sports teams and sleepless nights and sick kids, and now we're talking about retirement plans and paying for college. Most of the guys in our church that I've been around have, been, have a good and healthy understanding of God's calling on their lives to be responsible for their families. It's one thing that I'm, I'm really blessed by. I don't, I, don't, I don't hang out with very many guys from our congregation who don't know and appreciate the calling that God has given them to be a good steward over their resources to provide for their families, to lead their children, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's, it's a joy to, to have that caliber of men in the congregation. It's exciting. But, but the, the truth is here, that in that noble pursuit, that desire to provide, to be good stewards, there is a dark side to that uh, obsession. Because there's a fine line between um, stewardship and obsession, a fine line between planning and worry, a fine line between preparation and anxiety. And as someone whose natural gifts incline them to plan and solve problems that may not ever actually exist, I understand this all too well. And even though we don't like to admit that it is a struggle, it's true, guys, that sometimes we move beyond a healthy place of responsibility into a place of crippling and unhealthy anxiety and worry about what tomorrow will hold, will we have enough to provide, 
How many children do we have times how much is college tuition? Why did we have so many girls? Now I have to pay for weddings. Like all, all of that comes in and you're like, oh my goodness. I, mean, I remember a couple years ago, Joe Twardy, one of our elders, he's not with us anymore, uh, but he, we, we were at a, a meeting and he says to us, he says, guys, I've been planning for college. They just told me that the average cost of a college education for our kids by the time they get there will be $290,000. And I said, I feel bad for my kids because they're not going to college. That's exactly what it means. I mean, oh my goodness. Right? It, it can be overwhelming at times and that can move us from a place of healthy responsibility into a place of unhealthy anxiety and worry. And even though we don't like to admit that we face that sometimes, we do. So, when worrying about the coming costs of kids' college and house repairs and retirement, when we're laying awake in the middle of the night as we're riddled with insomnia, trying to figure out how can we make this happen, where do we go with our anxieties? Where do we go with our worries? Well, we turn to the scriptures again for comfort and help. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be focusing this Father's Day. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 25. And hopefully it'll be helpful not only for dads, but for all of us. Because all of us from time to time get concerned and uncertain about what life is going to bring our way. And because of what we've seen in life, and we know how unpredictable it really is, it makes us all the more nervous about what tomorrow might possibly hold. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, Jesus is speaking, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's say a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word, for the way that it pierces us and it applies to our regular lives right here today. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the, the teaching of the scriptures today, that you would empower the, the preaching and the receiving and that through this investment of time this morning, that our hearts would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First thing we're going to look at is Jesus giving his disciples and us later a lesson from the birds in uh, Matthew 25, verse, or in verse 25 and 26 of Matthew 6. A lesson from the birds. He says, listen, don't be anxious, which specifically is probably the worst advice you could ever give to somebody who's anxious. Oh, you're anxious. Hey, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Don't be anxious. Huh, well, you know what? I've never considered that, thanks. How helpful was that, you know? Uh, but that's what he says. He starts with, don't be anxious. 
Don't be anxious. And he's specific in his anxieties, right? Don't be anxious about food and clothing. Don't be anxious about your daily needs. He actually says when you do this, you you, you miss the point. So when you're worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to put on, when you're worried about food and clothing, the kind of the extracurriculars of life, the, the not the secondary, actually tertiary issues of life, not the primary things. When we obsess about those things and worry about those things, we're missing the point. He actually asks the question, is your life not more than food and clothing? Isn't, isn't life the experience of being a creation of God, a human, an image bearer of God, isn't it more than just what I put in my mouth and what I clothe my body with? And for some of us, no. I mean, wow, the, the idols of our age are our bellies and our image, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if we're looking to obsess about what we eat and what we wear, we're in, the good, we're in a good place. We live in a culture that's obsessed with image and satisfying those desires. There's entire television networks based on just that. You can, only, only in America in the 21st century can you watch multiple food networks. There's like multiple food channels where you just watch other people cook food and eat food. How amazing is that? What a gift, right? So obsessed we are. I'm gonna stop right there. Uh, Focus on those. It misses the point though. It moves the priority and the real value of life into these secondary experiences and, and misses the point of what life is really about. How many, times, how many times have you seen in your own heart when you start to fret and get anxious and worried about your daily needs, you begin to miss out on the important things that life is really about? Okay, dads, it is your day. I'm gonna talk to you. How many nights have you said, spent wringing your hands at the table, looking over your books, wondering how it's all gonna play out, missing quality time with your kids? Because you're consumed and worried about what's happening next. No, 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 we're missing the point. When we focus so much on the secondary experiences of life, we're missing the core of life. And then Jesus gives us this example. He says, look at the birds of the air. Have you considered the birds? They don't have a plan. There's no five-year plan for the birds. Death, I guess, is their five-year plan. I don't know know what the lifespan of the, I know what the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow is. I just don't know what its lifespan is. Um, For those of you who've never seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, don't. I I would just advise you not to. It will not help your sanctification in one bit. He says, have you considered the birds? They don't have a plan. Mommy bird and daddy bird aren't sitting down after the little ones go to bed looking over their books trying to figure out where to cut corners. They're not consumed with how the little birds are going to get their winter coats. No, no. Instinctually, they know what to do and they find food everywhere they go. They continue to eat. The birds aren't starving. They're getting hit by cars. But they're not starving. They're they're flying around, finding food everywhere they go. God is providing them food. And that's what he says. There's no storehouse for the bird. 
The bird isn't running through Taco Bell to pick up a crunch wrap on the way home. Well, that sounds good today. Father's Day lunch right there. $3.79, crunch wrap. Mm. Come on now. They're not running through the drive-thru. There's no barn. They haven't built, they haven't built a storehouse to store up their food so they can eat it later. They literally swoop down on your table at the coffee shop, grab a couple seeds off your everything bagel, and fly away. That, that's, their, that's their plan. I'm just going to find something, it sounds like my kids. I'm just going to find something laying around here in the seat of the car. I don't know how long it's been here, <laughs> but it's got this protective covering on it, so I think it's okay. Right, they're eating Cheetos from three years ago. That's right. Yeah, not the girls, just the boys, of course. <laughs> just the boys. He uses them as a great illustration that from all their observations, the birds aren't worried about what they're going to eat. They just find it because God provides it for them. And the point here, the point here is not one of the industry of the bird, not like when in Proverbs when we look at the ant and see how hardworking he is. No, the point is the bird isn't fretting about it. The bird doesn't worry about where his food will come from because he sees it everywhere and he just eats. And if the creator God is so concerned with love and tenderness and care for the smallest of his creations, like a swallow, then surely, surely he will be able to care for us like the song states, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. If God would be so good as to provide for, for that animal, surely somebody like me created in his image, redeemed by his grace, adopted into his family, surely my good father will take care of me. See, the fact that God provides for the birds here is used as a reason to lift the burden of weight of providing for ourselves. Because what we have to realize, and guys, I think we are more susceptible to this than others, what we have to realize is we are responsible to provide, yes, to steward the resources, but we don't have anything that God didn't give to us. So as we look to provide for our children, the only way we have any resource is because God has already given it to us. We are not the creator of resources. We are a conduit and a steward of resources. God gives us the resources. So we are providers, but not in that sense. Not in the sense that God creates and gives. We are providers in the sense of responsibility and stewardship. But Jesus isn't finished yet. Not only does he give us a lesson from the birds, he also gives us a lesson from the lilies, the flowers of the field. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever considered this, but um, this might come as a shock to you. Your worry doesn't actually do anything except make you ill, right? Like, your <laughs> if you spend three days obsessing about something, you actually haven't done anything. Like In your mind, you might tell yourself, I've just spent three days working. No, that's not work. That's worry and anxiety. You're, you're, you're obsessing and fearful and anxious about this thing, but you haven't actually done anything to push that thing forward. You're not adding any span of life 
to, to your existence. In fact, if we understand um, the evidence from science, you've actually robbed yourself of some time. <laughs> By the way, I personally think that with all the worry and anxiety, I, I probably have about six months left. <laughs> that I have, I have commandeered much of my 50s and 60s already with the amount of anxiety and worry, the obsessing about things that haven't even hit my plate yet. We know, do we know what it feels like? So consumed with organizing our resources, so consumed with figuring out the plan that we're obsessing about stuff that hasn't even showed up on the radar yet. We're obsessing about contingencies for our contingencies. And in so doing, we have not helped ourselves in any way. In fact, we've hurt ourselves and we are stealing life from ourselves. Not only future life, scientifically, you, medically, you are hurting your ability for long-term health, but you're also missing out on today, right here in front of you. The real people with real issues, real relationships, right here in front of your face. Because we're nosing the books looking to the next thing. Gosh, I feel like I know somebody like this. Your worry doesn't help you. So many of us waste significant amounts of time and we hope that the extra investment will sometimes somehow lead to a breakthrough. But it rarely does. The breakthrough is usually us breaking under the pressure of it all and turning to God for help. Our worry doesn't do us any favors. It's just futility. So which of you, which of you with your worry and obsession can really fix the situation? We can't. Hear it today. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't help it. Not even a little bit. It actually hurts it. Because it works you up. And it pulls you out of what you're supposed to be focusing on. Specifically, he says then, why are you worried about clothing? Why are you worried about clothing? Well, apparently, Jesus didn't have four children. Because it's easy to worry about clothing. They grow out of everything. In like days. Days they grow out of everything. It costs a lot of money to clothe people. Right? Especially when we live in upstate New York, we have... Two seasons, we have winter and mud, right? So you have to have your winter clothing and your mud clothing all prepared. And it costs a lot of money to clothe people. Small fortune. If we're not careful, we can come over, we get overwhelmed with that too, don't we? Start panicking and fretting about how are we gonna provide for that? Especially those of you who have big families, you know what I'm talking about. This is not easy. Those of you who have long seen the, the childhood age pass you, you're smiling today because you've seen God's faithfulness in those days. You know what that was like. You remember it well. God, he says, Listen, look at the lilies. Look at the glory and the splendor of the fields. Just look out on them. Look at the flowers. Look, look at the fruit. Look, look at the vegetables. Look at what God has given his creation. It's glorious, and, and Jesus, Jesus says that even Solomon, the wealthiest king of all, even Solomon, in all of his splendor, couldn't compare to the glory of the lilies of the field. All the resources that Solomon had at his disposal, all, all of the highest-priced materials, the best craftsmanship, all of the ancestors of Armani sewing his suits, Right? And here's Solomon, arrayed in splendor. Jesus says that was nothing, nothing compared to the glory of the fields. That God has given them glory. 
And they are in any way, they're unable entirely to clothe themselves. Like it's possible that a bird might f- like fly up and grab something that could, it could be keep, keeping them warm and shove it in their nest. Absolutely. The grass, the flowers, I've, I've never seen a flower bend down and pick anything up. Maybe I'm just looking in the wrong place. They can do nothing to affect the situation and yet they're clothed, they're clothed in splendor. And he says this, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, verse 30, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The grass is temporary. It withers and the flower fades. That's what we're told in the scripture. It is a temporary thing. If God, the creator God, is so concerned that he would bestow his borrowed glory onto the grass of the field, which is alive today and in the next season is gone. Surely he will give to you a greater degree of splendor and glory. And why? Have you forgotten who you are? You are not some apex predator in the animal kingdom. You are not simply the process of evolutionary time and chance. You are the special creation of God, fashioned in his image. You are the work of his hands. He breathed into you the breath of life. And if you're a Christian today, you have been adopted into his family by grace and through faith. That good father that we serve is not going to let his kids run around naked. He will clothe them. You are infinitely, and I know this might make a couple of our folks upset, I'm sorry. You are infinitely more valuable to God than the grass of the field and your golden retriever. Because, sorry, I know some of you have golden retrievers, they're beautiful dogs, and I actually do love dogs, but the point is still true. They're not created in the image of God. You, you, a human being created in God's image, you bear that He cares for you. You are infinitely more valuable to him than the animal kingdom. And if God would so feed the birds and clothe the lilies, surely he can care for you. And then he gives us a little lesson in our focus because there, I think, is the real problem. It's not just that we're concerned about what we eat, not just that we're concerned about what we wear, but that we're actually taking the focus off the most important thing in our life and we're making that secondary while we focus on the secondary thing and make that primary. He says, look, don't be anxious. (laughs) Again, that's so helpful. In in my most anxious seasons, if you tell me not to be anxious, I'm just gonna smile at you and walk away and grumble about you, I'm not gonna lie. It's so, it, it feels so unhelpful, but it's so true. We don't have to be. We don't have to invest our time and energy there. Don't be anxious. But seriously, he says, don't. Because the Father sees and knows you. What? what okay, so hold on a second. This is good. What is the source of our anxieties? An inflated view of our own self. Where we think it's really our responsibility to provide all that. So if we're anxious and worried about this, it's because somehow we have taken on ourselves the responsibility to create and provide opportunities and resources. And the reason we don't have to be anxious 
is not because we have these next level skills that are gonna get us through. The reason we don't have to be anxious is because we have a father in heaven who knows us and knows what we need. It's our relationship with him, our connection to him. It's not what we have at our disposal necessarily, but the immense power that that flows through us through faith. He says, look, you don't have to be anxious because your father sees. The Gentiles, those who don't know God, they freak out about this stuff. But those of us who do, we don't have to. We are safe and we are secure and we are confident in his provision for us. See, we forget that God has already pledged himself to care for us. We forget that our father is close at hand. The heathen, the pagans, they they live as if they're only fixated on today. The Christian lives and moves in each day with, with the confidence that the Father is there already to care for us. And it's that knowledge that liberates us from the weight of our worries. Instead of worrying ourselves into a frenzy, maybe we could pour our energies in pursuing his kingdom in the place of first priority. That's a challenging statement there. But a hopeful one. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not in a chronological sense. Not seek the kingdom, then the food, then the clothing. No, no, just seek the kingdom as a priority and, and something beautiful happens as our hearts and minds are caught up in pursuing God in following hard after him. The blessings of following him follow us. And he provides. See, if we begin to see ourselves not in terms of our titles and responsibilities, but in terms of our most significant relationship that you're a child of God through faith in Christ, that begins to change our outlook. The kingdom, the kingdom work in you is as beautiful to God as any great thing out there. Are you seeking first his kingdom? Are you pursuing him? Are you following hard after him? As we do, the other things get added Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So don't worry about tomorrow, he says. Tomorrow has its own issues, I promise. I've lived almost 41 years. One thing I have found to be constant, my back hurts every morning when I wake up and every day has its own troubles, its own trials, its own significant Uh, issues some days they're way bigger than others some days I wake up and like some of you and I'm experiencing experiencing a life-altering day it's got it's a trial absolutely some days they're smaller trials but I promise you every day has troubles and those days troubles are sufficient for the day God gives them in good measure he gives you enough strength each day to handle the trouble and the trial of each day but he's not banking up a surplus today. Some of us approach life as though, as though God is giving so much today that I'm gonna have this great reserve for tomorrow. No, 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 it's kind of like manna. He gives you enough for today, and tomorrow he'll give you enough for tomorrow. Today's troubles are what they are, and his strength will match the trouble today for sure. But it does no good to spend our day worried about tomorrow. Because you'll likely be unable to engage the people in front of you today. And you will miss the blessings of God in his provision for you today. 
And he knows what you need to endure today. J.C. Ryle said it this way. Those are my three. Anybody from the Philadelphia Eagles, Billy Joel and J.C. Ryle. We are not to carry cares before they come. We are to attend to today's business and leave tomorrow's anxieties till tomorrow dawns. <laughs> this gets a little morbid. He, we may die before tomorrow. We know not what may happen on the morrow. The only thing we may be assured of, and here it is, that if tomorrow brings a cross, he who sends it can and will send grace to bear it. That if tomorrow brings a cross, he who sends it can and will send grace to bear it. There is some deep convictions in those words, isn't there? Do I really believe that God is good? Do I really believe that he is the infinite, all-powerful creator of the whole world? Do I really believe that he is sovereignly in control of every area of my life, not just the blessings, but the challenges too? Do I really believe that God is in the midst of my physical suffering, my sickness and my illness? Do I really believe that God is in the midst of my financial distress? Do I really believe that God is in the midst of my marital distress? Do I really believe that God is in the midst of my private struggles and my addictions? Do I really believe that God is working right here in the midst, that he's sovereign and in control and has grace for the day? And if we believe that, a burden is lifted. And if we take that burden on ourselves, we crumble under the weight of it. These shoulders are not strong enough to carry that kind of weight. If tomorrow brings a cross, then the one who sends it will send grace to bear it. But Matt, what if tomorrow brings pain? What if it, what if it does bring, bring financial ruin? What if it brings divorce? What if it brings sickness? Well, then I imagine that God himself will be there in the pain to hold you, that he'd be there in the distress to show you that your ultimate confidence is not in wealth, but in his righteousness, that he would be there in the sickness to show you that the illnesses of this world cannot touch the joy of your soul. You see, our worries about tomorrow only compound our struggles today, and they distract us from the good that God is doing right here and right now. On a purely practical level, fretting and worrying troubles our trouble. It takes, it takes a bad situation and makes it worse, infinitely worse. Anxiety doesn't deliver on its, on its promises. May God help us just to ab abandon that, that worrisome usurping of his role. Can we, be, can we say it that clearly? I know it's kind of harsh. I'm sorry, not really. But that's what it is. When we're basically saying to God, God, I think I can do this better. Get out of that seat. I want, I want to drive. I want to decide where the resources come from. I want to decide how much I have in advance. I want to make these decisions. Can you just move over? I think I can do this better. And what we miss is that God in his mercy gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, remember that old song, lovingly it's part of pain and pleasure. That every day the things that God brings to our life are worked together over the course of our lives to bring about our ultimate happiness and joy in him and his glory in our lives. And some of you are walking through absolute chaos right now in your lives. And you're wondering, Matt, how does that even work? I wish I had an answer. I wish I could sit down and show you the chart. I can't. But I'm confident that the one who sends the cross will send the, send the grace to bear it. So what? 
What does all that mean for us? Okay, here it is. Number one, in his goodness, God provides. That's a, that's a good thing just to consider and think about and pound deep into your soul. In his goodness, God provides. The birds have food, the flowers are clothed with beauty. We are created in his image and you are more valuable to God than the birds in the grass. He provides for us. Now, hear me out. He will not provide every dream you've ever had. And thankfully, he won't provide the American dream because it's empty and shallow. He won't give you everything you've ever desired. That's not being a good father. But he'll give you what you need. And he'll lead you and provide for you. It might not be the luxury that you've got your heart set on. But in his timing and according to his perfect plan, he will give what you need and he will sustain you. The second thing I'd like to point out today, and this was hard for me to deal with as I study. Again, I'm preaching to myself because I, I am the biggest worry ward I know. Our worries reveal a lot about our hearts. Our, see, our worries don't reveal so much about our circumstances. They reveal an awful lot about our hearts. The first thing, I, I think, the nature of our worries and our concerns show us what we're valuing. If I'm, if I'm so obsessed with financial gain, and I spend my whole life just obsessing about finances, I might be placing a little bit too much confidence and trust in finances. Or the lack thereof. The fact of our worry reveals that we place trust and confidence in ourselves and not in God's provision. Because what we, what we fail to see in our worry is that, that God provides the down times and the high times in order to bring us to the end of this journey and that it all works together for good and we would not be today who we are had we not gone through difficult times and good times before. It, it all works together. You see, what happens is we struggle to trust that God is capable and interested in meeting our needs. We, we will say things like, no, 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 I know God's able I just don't think he's interested. <laughs> I know he has, the, he has the power to do it. I just don't think he's going to. So we're doubting somewhere whether or not we're valuable enough for him to invest the time, whether or not we're loved enough for him to hold us and engage. I don't, I don't know what his plan and purpose is, but... When we, when we obsess and, and worry and struggle with these anxieties, it's often because we're uncertain about God's abilities. And we start to panic, thinking that we now somehow have to step into his role. And of course, that makes us a little bit crazy, because that's not a role that we can handle. We weren't supposed to carry that. Our worries reveal a lot about our hearts. <laughs> the biggest one is that it shows, it shows me that I'm basically looking at my heavenly father saying, thank you for all that you've given me, this life, the family, the church family. Thank you for all of your provision. But I think somehow you're shortchanging me here. I think you're holding out on me. I think there's something more. I think, I think you need to let me do a little more of this planning. I think... Sounds a little bit like the prodigal son. <laughs> Just give me my inheritance. I'll figure this out. Thanks. And that reveals something about my heart, not my circumstances. And thirdly, the priority of our lives needs to be placed on the kingdom of God. And the crazy thing is, as we pursue that with everything we have, the other things 
come behind us. I know it it sounds so backwards. It's so upside down. It it is so uh, counterintuitive. But that's the God we serve, right? You have to die to live. You have to pour yourself out to be filled up, right? That is the God that we serve. You you empty, he fills. That's kind of how this goes. So what he's saying is, prioritize our pursuit of the kingdom, following Christ at all costs, yielding to his word, submitting in obedience, emptying ourselves in worship every day, and watch as he fills up what is lacking in us. I'm not saying to... I'm not saying to be over the top here. I'm not saying to be so dramatic that you don't keep a checkbook. I'm not saying be a bad steward. I'm I'm simply saying, reframe your mind and your heart to prioritize the kingdom of God first above everything else in your life and pursue that with everything you've got. And God has pledged himself to provide for your needs along the way. What What might it look like for you this week to live for the kingdom of God? Dads, moms, teenagers, what would it look like for you this week to pursue the kingdom above all else, above food, above clothing, above friends, above relationships? What would it look like this week for you to pursue the kingdom of God? Would it look like waking daily and submitting yourself to the ordinances of the kingdom, the words of the king? Would it look like spending time communing with the king through prayer? Would it look like pouring yourself out in service of the people in front of you as a representative of that king? Would it look like being an ambassador for that king, sharing a message of freedom and hope in Christ to those in front of you? What would it look like for you this week to pursue and prioritize the kingdom of God? And what would happen if an entire congregation really did it? What would happen if hundreds of people hit the capital district and made it their aim this week? to pursue the kingdom of God at all costs. I think God's up for that challenge. I'd like to hear the stories. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the words you've given us. Lord, as somebody who who is prone to anxieties, prone to worry, this is a challenging day. Lord, thank you for the reminders that, that our obsession, our obsession with worry and fretting oftentimes doesn't even take into consideration your role in our lives. In fact, it pushes you out of your seat and we try to climb in there ourselves. God, forgive us for that. We don't mean to do that. We're fearful. God, we're uncertain. We're frightened that you might not come through the way we want. We're frightened that you might not answer our prayers. And fear overruns us. God, remind us again that the perfect love of God casts out fear. That we are more loved in you than we could ever imagine. That we are adopted as sons and daughters by faith in Jesus Christ. And because we are now part of your family, you have pledged yourself to care for us. God, help help the relationship we have with you and our ongoing pursuit of your kingdom be for us a burden lifter in this. Lord, tomorrow has its own troubles. They're coming fast and furious. They might knock us down. Remind us again that the righteous will rise. God, remind us, like we heard today from that old preacher, that if tomorrow brings a cross, then you're gonna send the grace to carry it. 
And Lord, help us to do that with faithfulness and joy. Empower our hearts to be overcome with gratitude with your love for us and this life you've given us. And we pray that, that you would do great work in and through our congregation this week as we live for you, as we pursue you at all costs, as we lay down the things of this world in pursuit of the kingdom of God. I pray that all these things will be added unto us. In Jesus' name, amen.